Can we start by um, me doing my best Australian accent? Love it, whatever you want. Okay. I'm not going to attempt a Canadian. No, you have to. That's, that's going to be reciprocated. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Off Book, a podcast from the Young Vic, where we have conversations with creatives who have recently inspired us with their work here. Amazing. Oh, okay. okay. Cool. Do you want me to do the intro with Leon? What is it again? Thank you so much. Where am I? The Young Vic. Okay. Welcome to Off Book. I'm Christine Aschenbong, and I am joined today by Justin Martin, who is the associate director on The Inheritance and co-director on The Jungle, which is transferring to the West End very soon. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so let's start at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, I've already tried to emulate your Australian accent miserably, but for those people that can't actually hear your Australian accent, because I feel like it's kind of fake. It's <laughs> kind of fake. Kind of fake. Take us to the beginning. Where, why, why are you in Britain? Mm-hmm. How did you get started in theatre, and why theatre? Uh, well, uh, I think th- th- I've always done theatre since I was younger. Uh, there's probably some massive psychological reason for that, <laughs> but my memory is it's connected to my, my father and my brother have uh, an amazing uh, sense of comic timing, and as a young person, uh, I was fascinated about how they could deliver a line and gain an effect, and I couldn't. And so I sort of wanted to understand that. Okay. Um, Older or younger brother? Younger brother. Okay. And, uh, yeah, my mum and I were quite serious. My brother and my father were not. So You're it was quite serious? Is it? Well, you've, I, I, I was just sensitive, and I think I think I took things quite seriously. And I, I learned really? that, that life is worth laughing at. I didn't ultimately realize it. I used to think when I was younger that it was disingenuous to laugh if something wasn't funny, but then I realized it's a generosity, actually. Do you find it more natural to laugh at things now? Like, do you feel like that's more of your character? Well, I think think if if you're open to the generosity of laughter, Mm -hmm. then actually you enjoy it and you laugh more. Do you have a fav... Do you have a play or a movie that you love laughing at or something that you just genuinely find hilarious like what's your kind oh, of humor like a long time ago it used to be happy gilmore but i but that was i <laughs> okay. sort of enjoyed that no it varies i there's a there's a comedy duo called the umbilical brothers who used to just is when i really learned to giggle okay and you sort of giggle uncontrollably right uh but I, my father and my brother and my mother's brother are just have most unbelievable comic timing are they in um entertainment or arts no, no none of them are in it at all really but, but it's but you know and I, I just wanted to understand what that was <laughs> and how that was in a sort of weirdly you know i mean i was seven trying to work out what the difference is seven wow. yeah okay. so i started there and then i and then i sort of from that you just start performing at home and then people get you into things and were you actually acting on stage in australia i did some acting but it wasn't really? it didn't interest me okay i mean i i'm fascinated with actors and, yeah. and uh sort of obsessed with the process of of what they do and how they go through it, but it was never my thing. Okay. I did it, I, I probably did it at high school for a long time, and then as soon as I left, I went to university, I knew I wanted to be a director. How, what was the kind of like spark, or what was the switch between acting and directing? I think I like, it's the intersection between ideas and people, mm-hmm. and I think that's where, for me, the fun is. Uh, and I found that the way to do that was through uh, directing and auteuring rather than necessarily acting. Okay. Do you feel like because of your acting experience early on, you have more of a connection with actors? I've got more appreciation for. Okay. Uh, but uh, I think I have a healthy distance from uh, acting process because uh, okay. I never want to be a. T- uh, there's a big difference for me between the notion of being a teacher and being a director. Okay, what's the difference? 
Well, I think when you're an acting teacher, you're ultimately, you are engaged in acting process and you're engaged in the actor's role, which is to direct the role. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with a director, your job, my opinion of your job is that your job is to direct the play. Okay. And I think there is a distinction. What is the distinction for people that don't know? Because I, I honestly don't know. Well, I mean, look, I, I think a lot of what actors are doing, obviously, is trying to find, in theatre at least, is trying to find uh, a way to uh, repeat truth mm-hmm. uh, and something truthful. And uh, and so, particularly when you work on big plays with the short amount of time that we tend to rehearse, mm-hmm. uh, you need to uh, break up what... what uh, the, the various parts of it and I think actors take responsibility for the various characters that they play and they can really go in deep mm-hmm. but ultimately I think our job is to direct the play and make sure everyone's in the same play uh, and that the rhythm of the play is working mm-hmm. uh, and that all the elements uh, are coming together in a collaborative way mm-hmm. it's much less for me personally about going I'm going to put get everyone to be my puppet Right, um, but that's always been, and that comes from a healthy appreciation of acting and designers and and the like. But you're still tweaking the acting process. Yeah, in that you want the actors to be authentic, or you want them to tell a specific story, or do something in a certain way that gets captures what they're supposed to be doing, or what your direction is supposed to be doing for the specific play. Yeah. So when you say that there's a difference between um, acting, like acting coaches and directing, do you really feel like it's a huge enough difference to say that? actors are guided more by acting coaches or guiding more guided by directors more I think I think acting coaches and acting teachers are trying to get much more in touch with the individual actor okay. so they're trying to pick apart the psychology uh, of both the actor mm-hmm. and the character uh, and they're talking in a language uh, where they are pushing the actor to go, uh, to explore in different ways the intricacies of the psychology. I think what I'm interested in doing and what certainly in my work with Stephen and, and the same is that we're interested in creating a playground and giving enough toys, is a way of saying it, mm-hmm. for an actor to play within where they can find that. So we tend to direct behaviour okay. um, to an extent right. uh, in, in a very simple way, but not to in such a way, sometimes it can be intention-based, but normally it's a bit freer than that so that there's a place for an actor to discover and take real ownership of the role. Okay, so it's more big picture and more holistic. I think so. It doesn't mean that we don't go small picture when it's needed. Mm-hmm. It just means that we are ultimately trying to empower an actor okay. so that they can ha- have, a, have a playground to play in uh, where they can keep finding it anew. And, and that in itself is a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes, uh, or not being an actor and not doing a lot of acting, I think is useful mm-hmm. in the way that I work because it because I'm never trying to get an actor to do the role the way that I feel I would do it. Right. Uh, I'm just trying to provide a space where I where they can be truthful and responding to that. Do you remember what your first theatre experience was? Where you kind of were like, this is it for me, this is what I want to do? Uh, probably something with my grandmother used to take me to these musicals and sing through them all the time. Really? Well, she would s- sing or you would sing? No, she'd sing. So you'd sit there going, you know, it's quite embarrassing. But uh, yeah, I think I think we went and saw, you know, we used to go and see pantomimes and stuff with her. And I think uh, an awareness of the power of what theatre could do to an audience and how they could respond, which you don't see, obviously, in every show, but you you do see it in really special shows. And, and um, I'm not necessarily saying that my grandmother singing it has anything to do with it, but there was something about an audience seeing the particular plays that we were seeing and how engaged they were um, and how connected they were both 
which has sort of informed both my interest in it and but also in what I look for when in the work that I look for. And you just sorry, you touched on something really um, key for me, which was theater was really special, or certain performances are really special. Yeah. So you've directed two really special plays at the Young Vic. Yeah. Um, one being The Jungle, which David Land has gone on record on this podcast saying it's one of the best things he's ever produced at this theater, <laughs> and The Inheritance, which I'm sure he's going to say the same thing after it opens. Probably not, David. <laughs> How do you feel about being part of something so special and working with Stephen Daldry, who is a very critically acclaimed director, um, being able to work with him and also call him a friend and work on such a special play at such a special place? Yeah. Uh, well, look, I think I've um, I've worked with Stephen now for on and off for about 14 years. I started with uh, working on Billy Elliot a long time How ago. How were you introduced to him? How did you... Um, so uh, I was working with, in, in Sydney uh, and I'd just come over following a partner to London uh, and I was studying here and uh, the Sydney Theatre Company who I'd worked with uh, had got a phone call saying they were looking for a director mm-hmm. uh, f- to take Billy internationally, and they wanted someone who didn't, who hadn't done musicals, because they had sort of. I mean, the brilliant thing about Stephen is that he keeps pushing his own uh, experience, mm-hmm. and I think uh, ultimately I I dove into that. I was not a massive fan of musicals, um, but I could see value in the story. Uh, Even with your upbringing of going to musicals with your grandmother. Yeah, but that's probably why I didn't like them. <laughs> but it's sort of strange. Uh, and so, because I think I, th- I suppose I, I, my belief was that they lacked an authenticity, um, but but as you sort of get into it, there's a, there's a different sort of authenticity to them, um, and the combination of entertainment and truth mm-hmm. is something that is inherent in my work, and a cross section where Stephen and I connect. Um, that we always seem to do plays that are about something and feel like they're they're sort of contributing to the national conversation, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time are wildly entertaining and silly <laughs> and that feels fun and both and both the jungle and inheritance do that right. do both those things it's like taking um a chaser after a shot being able to like yeah 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 it's really like serious but also it tells it in a great way it does still laughing. yeah i think that's right i think that's right i mean look the rule of thumb that i always take is that uh how do we get off the arts pages and right. i think one of the the death of theater uh, at the moment is that it only caters is when it only caters to a theatre community. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately uh, getting ourselves off the arts pages is the biggest goal that we can do. Because mm-hmm. um, if you can find yourself into the national conversation, then actually this notion, which we th- we bandy around as directors all the time, of what is, what, how do we make theatre that's necessary and, and mm-hmm. theatre that's needed? And, and, I, and I think we bandy it around and we, as directors, you know, we wank on about it a lot. <laughs> but the reality of, of doing that uh, comes from a goal of getting it off the arts pages and into the conversation. Right. Do you feel like you're attracted to scripts or attracted to plays that specifically do that? Yeah, plays that do that, but but have the potential to entertain as well. Okay. I think you've got to have the balance. It's, you know, deeply human stories within a political or social context uh, that feels like it connects to an audience. We, um, One of the... Th- I mean, I've learned a lot of Stephen over... At, I mean, I call it like a 14-year conversation. Um, <laughs> I like that between us because it's and and you know we've had times where we worked together and times where we worked apart mm-hmm. um and steven's collaborated with lots of people uh as well as me but the conversation that we keep coming back to ultimately is the intersection of entertainment and uh getting it off the arts pages mm-hmm. um my friends will laugh because i i did a show a show last year and i appeared on the front page of the arts pages in australia which was hysterical because <laughs> they just sort of thought i was 
after everything that we I talk about. Right. I just sort of. It's I, inevitable, though, right? I feel like you are creating art, so why not be in the arts pages? But I understand what you're trying to say about contributing some, something greater and yeah. being able to be part of um, a larger conversation. I think that's right. One of the most, the most annoying things that I ever have is when arts communities are wrestling about form or uh, the like within the within the public dialogue because most people like my mum and dad who are not mm-hmm. involved in our industry just tune out right they don't care and right. i and i think then we've we as an as an uh as an industry have lost sight of what our real job is which is to connect with an audience right and attract the audiences to come see the work yeah ultimately yeah <laughs> uh but look the, the young bit i think is one of those theaters and particularly and it's testament to everybody here but also to david's sensibility um, that it's trying to do what what I like and what I try to do, which is to find an intersection between uh, the conversations and entertainment. And I think that's why Stephen and I both have been attracted to both these plays, but also doing them here with David. Right. Yeah. Um, going back to the jungle, which is about to transfer to the West End. Yeah. Was it um, difficult for you to tackle something that you didn't have experience with firsthand? Is that a barrier whenever you're thinking about directing something? A little bit. I mean, we so we all we sent the Joes over to who were the writers to start up uh, to just really go over and have a look and see what was going on. We were working on the Crown at the time, and so it was we were, we were a bit busy, um, and so we sent them over, and they said, "Look, we think the answer here is not just to come over and comment on it, but to start a theatre." Mm-hmm. And so we went over and and worked with them. So we we were aware of the world in which it existed. Um, I think the tricky part about it is uh, there's a fear obviously which everybody knows about I'm not saying anything which is can I write about other people right and I th- I think you can if you do the work and I th- and so one of the things we want to do is to never make the jungle feel worthy okay or feel like it was speaking out of turn for a community that it didn't represent right and and that came through just a lot of conversation mm-hmm. uh, a real trust and belief in the actors involved mm-hmm. uh, and allowing them to take ownership of their roles right. again it comes back to directing the play but allowing them to direct their roles Mm -hmm. and allowing them to directly communicate with the writers throughout Um, so it didn't feel as uh, as much of a stretch but I think I think we we'd always thought it was a little play we had no idea uh, exactly how it was it's really a play about the Joes wrestling with their own sense of Mm -hmm. did we help how do we help how can we help because we were also clear what we didn't want to make a play. Uh, we didn't want to make a play that was about over there. We wanted to right. make a play that said... Or with a very like, big moral about this is what we should be doing. Yeah. Right. And I, I th- think you did a really great job. And you guys did a really great job. Thanks. That. We feel... Well, we, we tried. <laughs> I mean, we're still... It's one of those things. We never stopped working on it. So there's lots of things we're still playing around with. And, right. Um, Will there be big changes between the Young Vic run and the West End run? Yeah. yeah. Some. Some. I mean, some of it... The heart of it will remain as it is. But... Right. but um, when you move into a bigger theatre and working out how to accommodate a bigger theatre so that it doesn't feel... I, I sp- and this is, if I've learned anything from Stephen, it is that our responsibility on some level is to the audience. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when we move into a bigger space, uh, part of that will mean making the cafe bigger, but part of it will also mean there's a voyeuristic element of looking into it. And right. we want to acknowledge that. We don't want to just mm-hmm. say, look, this is the this is a production that really exists in a smaller... We want to embrace what it is right. and find the opportunities within that. So it'll it will change, but I think for the better. Okay. Yeah. That's I mean it's hard to pr- improve on something that was such a <laughs> successful run at the Young Vic. I suppose. Something that people talk about so highly. Well, that's why you just got to keep evolving it, you know. I mean, you could just sit on your laurels, but we just keep playing. Got it. I mean, 
You could rest on their laurels because I feel like that's the easier thing to do. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's the less fun thing to do. It's actually, true. For us. Very true. Yeah. Um, so you have had experience directing a variety of um, different works by playwrights that are living and players that have passed. Mm-hmm. I guess you can kind of say. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a, it's challenging to work with, um, or easier to work with playwrights that are in the room while you're directing, or is it? A little bit of a hindrance because you have your vision or are you a vessel to actually it depends whether you think you, as a director you're an artist or a craftsman okay what do you think you are I, I, I in the balance of I'm a craftsman okay um, that doesn't mean that art isn't involved and we're not making art of but course. ultimately we're trying to bring things together the, the brilliance of having a writer who's no longer with you yeah. is that it forces you to be more creative and artistic in in how you interpret that for an audience today the brilliance of having a writer in the room is that you're doing that together. Right. Um, so they're, dif- they're different experiences. Right. Um, some people will argue that, you know, writers are, are, can be tricky in rehearsal rooms, but we, we ultimately, as uh, coming from a background of wanting to be craftsmen, feel like we're serving the vision of the author. Right. Um, so that feels... Uh, so that, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. We, I keep oscillating because I think it's fun. Got it. To do both. And... and what happened, I mean, in the jungle is an interesting case because we, whenever there was a problem, the instant reaction is to go back to the writing. Of course. And, uh, and, which is great to have writers, but sometimes it means that the instant reaction is to go back to the writers rather than try and solve Figure it. Figure it out yourself, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. And sometimes that, yeah, so it's an interesting tension. What's the dynamic like? I mean, not specifically for the jungle, but just in general when you have a writer in the room. It's all about how you pro- approach them. I love having writers in the room because I like the discussion. Okay. I love the help. Uh, Steve, Steve is quite funny with writers in the room in a good way because mm-hmm. you know if he doesn't know how to do things uh, he'll just say uh, to the writer well you, can you just direct the scene for me which <laughs> you get someone like David here going isn't that your job yeah 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 but, it, but he's sort of being honest going I don't and, and that's I mean one of the brilliant things about Stephen is that if he doesn't know how to do things he just doesn't do them yeah he'll defer to someone else that knows yeah help outside help or go or just it, or it'll sit and yeah. someone will work it out somehow or right. it might mean a rewrite or but he's courage to go, this, this is not working, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily know how to make this work, but someone will work it out is, is sort of one of the sort of brilliant hallmarks of him. Right. Is it uh, harder to fall back on, not being able to fall back on something that's already been done before versus creating something very new? Uh, very different, very different. I tend to read reviews of shows that I've done before, but and sometimes they're helpful in mm-hmm. understanding, but most of the time you've just got to engage directly with the material. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Some people will say it's useful seeing, some people say it's really unhelpful because you get stuck in a way, but I don't know, it varies. Mm-hmm. It's always a different audience, so you're tackling the conversation between the play and the audience. Right, and how much do you rely on um, audience reaction to tweaking things in previews? A lot. Okay. I <laughs> Controversially, I do believe in artistic integrity to a degree. Okay. But ultimately, uh, the notion of integrity is... For me, within the notion, within the idea of theatre, is that we have to uh, have an integrity to ourselves, but also really an integrity to an audience. And if an audience isn't getting something, mm-hmm. it's not the audience's fault. It's so weird that you say that because I feel like you and Stephen, in particular, direct in a way that you direct for yourself—not for yourself, but you direct for—you um, direct in a way that the audience will receive it in a really positive way, but also you don't really, you're not doing it for the reaction of the audience. You're doing it because you believe in the specific work. And I only have two mm. examples to go off of, Make but it. just seeing you guys in the rehearsal room, I feel like, and seeing the way that things are tweaked in previews, yeah. I feel like you're doing it more for 
the art form versus the reaction. So interesting. I don't know. I mean, I, w- I, mm, I would argue the opposite, but, I, but I'm intrigued that that's how it comes across. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only because, I mean, the classic example for me was when Billy Elliot went to New York. Uh, in Britain, we could get away with Billy Elliot's father uh, call, uh, calling him a, a little twat. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and that was seen as funny here. Right, right. When we went to New York, you could never earn an American audience's respect for the dad because he was just a negligent, right. bad father. right, right. right. And you can go into that and go, they don't get it, or you can rewrite the scene and make right. it and make it connect. And so the the version of Billy Billy's father was that he's a pathetic dad who can't quite keep up with right. with the the amount of things going on. Mm-hmm. And that was just a slightly different version, but it was a version that still fed to the integrity of what Lee had written mm-hmm. uh, and to what we were trying to achieve. But it was taking into account the audience, and it, it literally you'd sit through the first previews going this we just can't get them back right right, right. um and you have to listen to them it's amazing the more that you i mean we all listen to audience but the more that you stop watching the show and you just listen to the way the audience respond to it the more Mm -hmm. you learn about the show which is obvious to say but but it's interesting so we so while the we have have to put lines in the sand in the rehearsal room i think ultimately when it comes to previews we move things around a lot um i think billy i wasn't at the initial preview to billy but it was four four hours for the first uk preview and then it got down to three um, which is a testament to really listening to an audience and listening right. to a piece and understanding it. Right. Yeah. You touched on something really um, key here that I was actually going to ask you anyways, which is directing for UK audiences versus US audiences or just in, for different audiences in, gen- in general. Do you feel like, um, obviously there's different nuances between the two different cultures, but yeah. do you feel like, how do you feel like the audiences are different? It's It comes back to what our histories and... The UK and UK theatre has a strong history and tradition of journalism, mm-hmm. which is very different to US theatre. Okay, in what way? Uh, it's the way in, it, US theatre is getting more political, but okay. the way in which uh, where they come from is that uh, the British theatre tradition is is pantomime, but then TIE uh, journalism, and that informs the sort of stories. That uh, or the sort of history that writers are coming into in the way they write. So mm-hmm. often they're they're uh, the place can be political. They have all social in their method. They're really looking at what's happening in the world. They're trying to have a conversation with the world. Right. American playwrights are doing that more now, now than ever course. before. Mm-hmm. But the tradition of it is more entertainment. Right. Uh, okay. And so it, it it it's not necessarily what they're doing now, but it's the, what's what's fed them and the tradition that they've learned theatre in. Right. And so uh, yeah, and so audiences receive based on the tradition of the theatre that they've okay. they've come to. There's much more. I mean, I uh, I think the American theatre is really exciting at the moment because it's moving into that. Mm-hmm. It's advocacy advocacy, sorry, versus enter- entertainment, which is, yeah. I guess, the subtle difference between the two. I think that's right. I mean, Australia's tradition I find fascinating within the context of this too because we don't have a, a, as much of a political, journalistic background for theatre right. as the UK does. Um, and we're trying to find out theatrical heritage. And Simon Stone, who did Yoma, is mm-hmm. an Australian who I went to university with. And Did you I, really? Yeah, a long time know. ago. So you're actually like mates? Yeah, Ish. I haven't seen Simon for a while. Yeah, not I mean, not yeah, not, yeah, not yeah. mates. He's great. Yeah, Simon, yeah. I just haven't such seen him since uni. Such a small theatre world. Yeah, but what Simon's doing, from my point of view, is uh, wrestling with an Australian uh, tradition of trying to find a theatrical history because mm-hmm. we have our relationship to our theatrical histories that we find at Kitchen not as interesting. We're trying to reinvent that with okay. the plays that we have. Right. But uh, are my you doing that by bringing things out of Australia and? bringing them back or is it actually like 
a natural like grassroots movement in Australia. Well, what what Simon and that movement did was to go, let's take international classics and let's rewrite them right. for the audience, right? Um, and not uh, and and not pander to dead writers, but to living audiences, right? And uh, and I I uh, the idea of that is is brilliant, mm-hmm. but it's really about us trying to forge a theatrical tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, which we're trying, we're still trying to work out. And a lot of the plays, there are some brilliant Australian political plays that do it very well, but a lot of Australia's response to political plays are often slightly uh, too direct. They're not hidden under the, entertain- the entertainment okay. element of it. Uh, that's not all. Some do it very well, mm-hmm. but we're still feeling ourselves out, I think. Okay. Is there anyone in Australia that you're really excited about in terms of playwriting or directing? Yeah. I mean, Simon is a classic example of somebody who's, who's changed the conversation in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are those people, they're really good people, but a lot of them tend to get to get out uh, and work internationally. Of course, you have to, I guess. It's... Sort of. I mean, although the, I, there are a lot of people argue that the, the industry is really strong there, and I, th- and I think there it is, and I think it's getting stronger. Um, I think for a little period of time we went very insular in our playwriting. Right. Uh, and because there was a fear of being too general or generic mm-hmm. when getting too big. But it, it's interesting. It's... It, it's funny coming to the UK, and I live in the UK now and have sort of full time for the past seven years. It, you suddenly work out the things you want to say about the country you're from. Right. Uh, so I have I've spent a lot of time in Ireland because uh, my partner's Irish, and so uh, so I feel like I'm developing a language of how to talk about that, and I'm feeling like I'm developing a language of how to talk about Australia. But trying to work out the language about how to talk to England and what is Englishness seems like the big thing that everyone's especially sort of, now. Yeah, rattling yeah. around, and right. and we don't all have answers. This, I think separation sometimes helps with that. Do you feel like um, theatre is a way of getting those answers? I think it's a way of exploring the humanity of okay. those answers. Um, because England is, is um, and, and there's London and England, is sort of a hodgepodge of so many things. Uh, and it has a very vibrant theatrical tradition. And trying to work out how to insert oneself into uh, the changing nature of London and the UK at large, but also the, the changing nature of London uh, and the UK theatre is is tricky and needs to be done delicately. Okay, it's a fair answer. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> very eloquent. <laughs> um, Maybe not. <laughs> uh, let's jump to the inheritance. Yeah. So, what was it about Matthew's script or Matthew's play that you were drawn to, where you were just like, I really need to work on this? So we so we started workshopping it two years ago mm-hmm. in, uh, New in New York, yeah. and it like those things. It felt important. It felt like I was having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that needed to be had and what what happens is you get these movements that happen and these series of plays uh, that come out uh, whether it, it might be for example in Ireland you get the Troubles plays coming out mm-hmm. and then you get a barren period a period where people go oh, we're, we're sick of conversations about that right? Uh, and, and then there's a point where uh, the resonance of it feels like it needs to be talked about again or reinvented or re-explored mm-hmm. within a context that's changed and what Matthew's play is sort of doing is uh, uh, is doing that for the AIDS epidemic, but also all, large portions of gay history. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's a it's an adaptation of Howard's End to an extent, right. but taking as its starting point the fact that Ian Forster was gay. And, and what is the most profound thing for me when I first read it and met Matthew mm-hmm. was that it articulated what I found it was a fascinating worldview. Mm-hmm. And Matthew has a really... Uh, interesting way of looking at the world and the needs of the future of the world within that community, but then within all communities. Okay. Um, and that being uh, that he read this this book, Howard's End, when he was 
uh, a young man not knowing that Forster was gay. Mm-hmm. He connected to the book mm-hmm. and he went, this is that this is talking to me in some way. Mm-hmm. Then he discovered that Forster was gay after mm-hmm. reading Morris and went, oh my God, there is something about the vibrations of that writer that was communicating to me right. and uh, and passing down things. And so this notion of a legacy that's not a familial legacy or, mm-hmm. or a religious legacy or a, a national legacy, but a uh, a legacy of history from through a, a community, this being a gay community, yeah. and that's important. And I think he was it was a combination of of Ian Forster and older gay men talking to him, and he's surprised that the next generation of gay men below him had no concept of the epidemic right. and the war that was fought at yeah. that time that yeah. made him write this play, which is basically advocating the notion of a continuum mm-hmm. and the need to pass down history and legacy, and not just. Uh, I mean, it, it it does on some level mean the cliches, but it but it more yeah. means yeah. It's you know. not really cliche though. I feel like I mean I'm biased again because I've seen it. And how long did it take you to read it? The first time. Yeah. Well, the first time the first part one was four and a half hours, and the s- part two was about seven and a half. So it was a long read Jeez. the first time. Okay. Okay. Now it's three and three. Right. But it's but it's a it's a good uh, yeah it's a solid three. I read it in an afternoon, and I was like, this is really fucking good. Oh, good. I could not stop. Yeah. I could not put it down because I really wanted to know what's happened to the characters. So what um, drew me to wanting to interview you for this podcast is how do you take something like that and put it on stage? I know it's a really basic and standard question, but can you just take us through the process of, like, what you actually do to get something like that, which is, like, an epic world premiere, and put it? On a stage. I think the, the biggest thing is to get out of the way of it. Okay. Um, what we didn't want to do, what we felt, uh, Stephen and I had a lot, sort of a lot of chats at the beginning and with Bob Crowley, who's mm-hmm. designed it, about how to not be disingenuous to the storytelling, because the storytelling was so compelling. And a lot of people who read it, I mean, it's really funny. And, that, yeah. and, and I think that partially drives it through um, and entertaining. So um, we just wanted to get out of the way of it. And we'd seen a few shows which had sort of had big epic sweeps and and we'd felt that that that's in to some extent the setting and the uh, adornment of it mm-hmm. had actually helped to make it more reductive okay. and there was a sort of lack of honesty to it mm-hmm. whereas what we wanted to do was to go as simple as possible obviously it's not simple but because there's it, any show has its complexities it's a lot of parts, yeah. but we wanted to put the actor at the forefront mm-hmm. And the story at the forefront, right? Uh, and so it's it's actors standing on stage telling a story much more than it is massive scenery pieces mm-hmm. or um, you know tricks. It, right. In a weird way, we come on, we go. This is us. We're telling a story. Right. We're going to be honest about the orifice of it. Yeah. Here I mean, if that, if that was your intention, why get someone like Bob Crowley, who's epic in his field, because to come the, and design? Because the genius of Bob Crowley is yeah. his ability to do both. Great. Okay. And Bob. What Bob does, and I and I do think he is a genius, is and he's done both. He's done sort of hugely adorned shows, mm-hmm. and those shows probably need it. Uh, and he's done really simple shows, but he has the taste to find the design that's needed for the show. Okay. And and so there's a simplicity to the set, and there's a simplicity to the storytelling, mm-hmm. which places it at its heart, uh, and uh, the actor, and and Bob, Stephen, uh, uh, um. Their goal ultimately is how do we deliver the script and the actors to an audience, and I think that's the core of it. And how do you do that? 
you, I think you just get a, you, you, uh, yeah, oh, that's a good question. There's <laughs> lots of answers to that, which is why I sort of have. Yeah. Um, I think I think the big thing is you just get out of the way of it. Um, if the storytelling's working, if the ideas at the core of it are working, mm-hmm. And the staging is working, mm-hmm. then actually uh, an audience will sit with it. You don't need to h- hide it. A lot of the time, I think what we're trying to do is to hide flaws within scripts and within stories. And I think what we've tried to do is to just to to work through with Matthew the fl- where we can make things stronger, or whether it were all to try and find an idea that articulates something mm-hmm. without trying to hide the flaws. Um, yeah, and it's it's weird though. I mean, it, it, because everyone is watching episodic drama yeah. on television yeah. at the moment, which will get to your your crown. Yeah, tenure. It just means that we people can sit through. I mean, there's none of the acts are one are more than an hour ten or something. Yeah, and and so you feel like you're you're binge watching. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something we're getting more comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, so it is sort of it's six parts mm-hmm. over two over two show lengths, mm-hmm. and I think we're comfortable with it. And you sort of get to know the characters. Better. Really well, yeah. Yeah. I and mean, if we nice. were having this conversation a year ago, there's no way that I would sit through a six-hour, two-part play. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Even if it was at the Young Vic, I'm sorry to say. But I feel like the way that you've done it is just so... It, the nuance is so, like... It's literally like sitting on your couch and watching Great. seven episodes of XYZ. Yeah. It's really, really good. Great. And I'm not good, just saying good, that good. because you're in front of me. It's no, no, no. <laughs> I appreciate you say that. I mean, it's good because it is funny, and then it, and then it does sneak up on you. And you suddenly go, oh, it's important, mm-hmm. um, but not in a worthy, pretentious way. In right. a, in a, um, because I think what we do in theatre is we tell human stories, and we, well, you can hear facts, and and there we we have the av- facts available to us through the internet and through all sorts of media all the time. But the notion of uh, a human connection or humanity mm-hmm. is something that theatre can really do, um, because there's people in a room who are uh, still have the capacity to really move you. Right. Yeah. Great. For what that's worth. <laughs> okay, let's talk about The Crown. Yeah. I'm so sad to say that I've never seen an episode. Have you not? I'm horrible. No, I feel no. like it's one of those things where I need to plan an entire like month right. of just being able to sit through all however many series there are right. and just watch it in one go. So I'm going to watch it at the very end. Okay, yes. that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you got you got another six years to go, <laughs> so you'll be fine. Um, thank you for preparing me. Um, <laughs> what? So how? How? Tell me, like, why? How? Where? So uh, after Billy closed, we came. Uh, I went back to Australia and worked for a while, and then we came back here and we did this play called The Audience, mm-hmm. which uh, was about the Queen. It was sort of fascinating because as an Australian who didn't really know a hell of a lot about British history other than I mean, the she's your queen as obvious. well obvious I know <laughs> but we didn't really I mean we learned some of that we, obviously you learn about world wars and all that right. sort of stuff um, but I didn't know the intricacies uh, it was a fascinating experience to sort of delve into and what we were surprised about is how I mean obviously watching Helen play the queen was a huge draw Helen card Helen was in it right yeah yes, of course uh, but uh, people got really into and fascinated with the history and mm-hmm. Peter and Stephen realised that it was a show and so uh they went to a number of places and Netflix said, look, we just believe in you and we believe in the story mm-hmm. and uh, we support it. Go and do what you need to do. And so they were supporting artists, and uh, but not go, not in a dictatorial way, but just mm-hmm. in a, we support you, we believe in you. That's a really big freedom to have, especially Which, on TV. Yeah, really yeah. big freedom. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it was, it's, it is an incredible journey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, we have a huge team of researchers mm-hmm. uh, who are digging constantly away at finding things. When we make a choice for something, 
not to be accurate because mm -hmm. because it's better for the storytelling or it's trying to articulate something we're usually aware of it mm -hmm. um and it's it's moving i mean pete's fundamental point of view is about her is what's interesting which is that she and it's a simple point of view but he sort of discovered it while writing the queen mm -hmm. is that she's playing two roles and how do you right. how do you play two roles and i think that resonates with with everybody but with women in particular mm -hmm. the fact that you know i mean you mean like public versus private is, are those the two roles it's not as simple as that okay. it's it, it, it's sort of but i think i mean i i talk to my partner at the moment and it's this whole thing of of how do you have the and it's her particular interest not yeah. necessarily everybody's but how do you be uh part of um, uh, both the mother and the part of the family and also be the worker and how do you balance right. those things right. and I, and particularly in her situation it comes into tension all the time mm -hmm. because the she uh, you know she is she rules but she's not in charge and right. and that trickiness of how do you negotiate that in a in a world and particularly I mean, the brilliant things that are happening in the world in terms of the shifting of gender politics is amazing and brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we've all been born into a particular patriarchal world. And how do we deal with a patriarchal world? Mm -hmm. How do you navigate it? tricky, yeah, right. because it's all we know. And right. so we're, f we're learning it. But we, we can only get to a certain point because we're born into that world. Right. Um, Especially so, if you're the queen, you literally are born into yeah. whatever you, yeah, you're calling. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's so... I mean, it, the core of it really is this little family who everything they do has... Just a, a little family. A little family. I mean, that in a sort of really human way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know... <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not saying that. Just like, I'm just saying it because I think it's hilarious. You're just like, you know, just this a little, little family. family. This little family. Just the losers, you know. Yeah, who, who everything they do has an impact on, on what's going on in the government. Yeah. And everything the government do has an impact on this little family. Right. And those two things trying to work with each other is, a, is, a, is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be a royal. After really? the experience, no. Why? Your life is not your own. Right. I mean, it is in in private, but you know, they, you can't. I mean, I I have huge admiration for them, mm -hmm. um, even though I would call myself an Australian Republican. Okay. Um, it's it, the role that she has played mm -hmm. uh, for this country has been immense and amazing, uh, and the role they all played to some to some extent. Right. Uh, no matter what individual politics people have. Right. Is it hard for you to direct a show that you don't that don't doesn't align with your politics? So I know you're a really strong advocate for the work that you've done at the Young Vic specifically with refugees and migrants, and then the gay community. I know that you're an ally for both the, all those communities. Yeah. But do you feel like it's hard for you to like sit down and or not sit down, but direct specific um, production or play if you don't fully believe in? Um, I don't want to say the message, but if you don't fully believe in what goes on, I don't know how to yeah, articulate this. I think this. so. I think you've got to keep pushing. I think you, look, I mean, it's so didactic to say, but um, I think you've got to keep pushing your own politic. By that, I mean you've got to keep testing it. Okay. And so I think the interaction between uh, uh, your own opinion about something mm -hmm. uh, can only um, be enhanced by exploring and delving into the politics, mm -hmm. uh, uh, many political views and different ways of looking at things. Right. Um, I can be, uh, I can admire the role the Queen has played right. and at the same time uh, believe that Australia should be a republic. Okay. And I, and I think those things are not mutually exclusive. And I think the problem with the world, well, well, lots of problems with the world, but one <laughs> of the problems with the world today is that uh. is the notion of conversation and debate, which was so big, the oral language of debate has sort of, changed in mm -hmm. such a way which is 
an obvious thing to say, but obviously through social media and through fake news and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. it's changed. So anyone can say anything. But the notion of actually sitting down and debating, mm-hmm. in fact, which was you know, which is something I'm fascinated by. And you look at these sort of great debates right. that were done in the past. We right. had Jermaine Greer debating Norman Mailer, and you had that just doesn't happen in the mm-hmm. same way anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we're not constantly testing our worldviews. But I mean, that's the tragedy, I think, slightly, because something like the jungle, where yeah. we would love to take it to Surrey, yes. it, it, because the conversation, not to go, not to be provocative, of but course. to go, let's have this conversation, right. is a place where people probably wouldn't come and see it. They right. might. Sorry right. if anyone's in Surrey no. has seen it. <laughs> but it, it, but they're the conversations that need to happen. Of course. Um, and are we, and, and theatre has the opportunity to do it. We, would, we just did this big workshop last year on a new show with ENT Studio, or I did, mm-hmm. which is really looking about this circus in Morocco and examining uh, the education system mm-hmm. within Morocco, the Moroccan uh, poor and and the conversations that went around uh, really examining what it is uh, to be Muslim okay. and what it is to be... Uh, to, to have certain limited options within their, the education system of this particular mm-hmm. area where this circus is mm-hmm. um, uh, is a really interesting way of pushing into your own blindness. Right. And you realise how how the 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 lenses, the lens on lens, right. which tailors everything that you do. Yeah. Um, and it's based on a doc- documentary, and, and the documentary is brilliant, but documentaries ultimately are... Uh, sometimes the least truthful thing anyway because they pretend to be right. absolute truth. Right. But the the lens and the choices, which is obvious to say, are so intricate and subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I think you've got to, my opinion is you've got to keep testing it, your own worldview, but it's it's painful to do so. Of course. For what it's worth. <laughs> What's the um, biggest difference between directing for TV and directing for theatre? Uh, you, uh, you've got, uh, well, theatre for me is a little bit like um, uh, you, you sort of run a marathon mm-hmm. uh, and then you which is sort of the rehearsals mm-hmm. and then you do a sprint when you get to tech um, film the marathon is pre-production and then when you're shooting it's it's a sprint but it's a sprint marathon for seven months okay so it's it's di- it's a different pace um, what films taught me a much different way to theater is that to, you've got to trust your your first impulse, okay. which is tricky. Uh-huh. And if you've worked a lot of theatre, we obviously come back tomorrow and we have a new idea and we can try it. Right. In film, you shoot it, it's, it's there, it's right. done. Right. 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 Uh, and watching directors at the end of a shoot, particularly in telly where they're sort of going, you can just watch that malaise of I should have shot that differently, I could yeah. have done that differently, and feeling that yourself is is tricky, it's interesting. Whereas uh-huh. theatre, we come back the next day. But it, what it's great for is really learning to trust your instinct. Okay. Um, and and then the other thing is really just getting you control the frame, mm-hmm. which is I can I can direct where you're looking at any time, uh, with right. a, with the with the lens. Right. Whereas obviously in theatre we have other ways of doing that. Of course. We don't. Uh, the close up is the big thing that we miss, in theatre. Theatre. Right. But we have other ways of doing it. You know, right. which can be a small, Lighting, body within right. a massive stage. Okay. It can be. Um, I think they. I think the experience of them informs each other. Okay. Which one do you think is better for getting specific messages across? So, um, advocacy or um, uh, social issues? Different. It depends. Okay. I think you, I always think the form has to be dictated by the story. Okay. Uh, and sometimes you work on something, you go, that is absolutely a piece of theatre. The Jungle, uh, it, for me, in the way that we made it, is yeah. absolutely a piece of theatre. Mm-hmm. And 
because you're you're asking people to experience something and not look in on it. Right. Um, there are other things like I th- I th- well I think that the audience was fantastic. The Crown really allows you to immerse in that family, mm-hmm. and and I think uh, in some ways it's it's a TV project rather than a, even a film project. Right. For me, so it, it, yeah, it's dictated by that. In terms of uh, the politics, I, see, for me, I think you've got a um, entertain. Uh, you can't inject politics directly into someone's arm. Okay. We just we we it becomes too didactic, and I think so. If you uh, and in a weird way, journalism does that. Mm-hmm. You know, I can read a journalism uh, piece of journalism, and I, and it can be very didactic. I can read a book about what I you know into mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But theatre's ultimate power. All films' ultimate power is its ability to create the humanity of a story, and so you know something like Billy Elliot, which on the surface is just about a boy who wants to be a ballet dancer, mm-hmm. um, in a greater context is about a community trying to find a voice for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just made a piece of theatre that was about um, the miners' strike, it, it would feel very didactic. Okay. And actually, the combination of the two means that you can explore it in a different way. Right. Uh, my favourite moment is in Billy is when uh, Billy's dad turns up in London and he meets a posh dad. Yeah. And it's the first time a London audience is is confronted with the a London. Of being, yeah. Well, because we've heard the Geordie accent for the whole yeah. play, yeah. and then a London. It's kind of like jarring, isn't it? Well, it's weird because you're laughing at yourself yeah, almost, yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's what's interesting about yeah. it. And the jungle does that in a weird way because it sets up this notion we've spent so much time with these refugees, mm-hmm. and then these suddenly these you know. British people turn up and you're laughing at yourselves. Right. And do you think people actually, do you think the majority of audience actually understood that? I don't, and maybe not consciously, but mm-hmm. I think subconsciously. Okay. I mean, you know, whether it be little um, Sam coming on with a, with with his phone and taking pictures, yeah. is what we all did. Yeah, we got yeah, there yeah. and we were videoing and we were photographing right. and you sort right. of go, I am guilty of that. Yeah. Um, but that can only ever be done subtly. Right. Uh, and that's a that's a specific moment. But so I, you actually I did so. go to Calais. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I spent uh, probably two two months there, but wow. but in different in sort of small yeah. snatches because we were in between things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, cra- a crazy experience, but a br- uh, like amazing, mm-hmm. and, we, and we were doing ridiculous things. Like what? Because well, because there was uh, look the, the major thing that we that I think Good Chance offered in Calais was the chance for people who had who um, were telling stories. Uh, about their journey mm-hmm. and where they'd sort of lost their individual narratives. Right. And they were going, I'm a refugee, I've been through this journey, mm-hmm. how horrible things are, this is why I left, and giving them a chance to express their own personal narrative in a more individualistic sense. Okay. What do I miss from home? Right. What am I looking for in the UK? Um, wh- what do I want to paint today? Mm-hmm. You know, allow them to get out of the, not that that narrative doesn't have power, but it, it's not all those people are. Okay. Um, and the creativity and the notion of creativity can, uh, allowed people access to narratives other than what we read in newspapers or mm-hmm. what, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it allowed people their, their stories or stories back mm-hmm. by pro- providing form. And then you had sort of, so you had that going on where we're sort of giving a voice for people to talk about what they've been through and all mm-hmm. the like. And then you had this sort of interesting uh, period of time where all the media were there. Right. So... They were, it was trying to find a language and a connection between those two things, those two things. Yeah. and so we you know we were just doing audacious things one of the big problems they had over there is that nobody wanted their face to be seen of course yeah because if they get recognised and they 
they being the documented EU laws. as in France. Yeah, and right. then they have to be they could be deported back to okay. France. So we did you know, you do a mask workshop and then everybody suddenly all around the camp is suddenly talking to the media when they weren't. Yeah. Before, because they could put masks on, right? And it, and you go, okay, so there's a theat- practical yeah, means to the yeah, theatricality. Yeah. Uh, or they did a the court case was going on about whether the jungle could be destroyed or not, mm-hmm. and there were refugee groups at that, but not many refugees, and the refugees mm-hmm. were quite frustrated that they mm-hmm. couldn't be there. So we just staged a court case where they were able wow. to ask the questions that they wanted or argue the points of view that they wanted, okay. and that became a way for them to engage in the issues right. and and. Feel what like we'd part of it. Yeah, yeah, we'd mainly just set up the form of it and then allow them to. Mm-hmm. We weren't tr- ever trying to dictate. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a really. Uh, there's a book called um, what's it? Um, Groups of Great Happenings, uh, Albert Hunt book, which is talks about the Britain in the um, I think it's the seventies or the eighties, and theatre is that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, where theatre is responsive and trying to trying to educate, but also bring about change and stories, and and we just used a lot of things out of that book, mm. you know, setting up human board games, and it was crazy. It was a good time. That's so cool. Yeah, I did not know you about. Was yeah. it more for research, or was it just because? I mean, obviously, it was research. Base. Well, we didn't know what the Joes were going to write at that stage. Okay. So it was more. It was more going. There's a need, right. and and we need to go over and do something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the play really explores. Is is no matter whether you, the question is not whether what you're doing is good or bad. The question is you, you just do something. Mm-hmm. And I think we. And I think that's what we felt. Right. So we went over there. We like to think that we helped, but you know. Was it important for you guys to cast um, actual refugees in the play? Yeah. Not, not least because a lot of the refugees we met over there had, had come here. Yeah. Uh, but because uh, we, a good chance is a long history um, since the jungle, mm-hmm. uh, looking after and communicating with these people mm-hmm. um, whose story it is. And I think it would have been disingenuous not to go. Right. You know, let's Include keep the conversation. The yeah. Yes. And so they could tell their own story. And so what we advocated with the refugees, there were four in the jungle that were, that came through the jungle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would, I mean, they, in the show, they sing songs that they wrote while they were yeah. in the jungle. I mean, really so powerful. it felt like it was yeah. authentic. Yeah. What we didn't want to ever feel is worthy. Right. Uh, and we were very, very aware that we were a bunch of white people mm-hmm. trying to wrestle with a story that, that couldn't be one-sided. Of course. Yeah. Was that really challenging? You just, again, you had to check yourself. Right. And you had to challenge your own worldview all the time. And, and how ha- often would you do that? when you're? Were there moments where you're just like, oh, I'm not sure if this is the way that we should tell this because of who I am or because of who... Sometimes. Right. Sometimes. But I think you just, if you're really tough on yourself about it, I think I think I, it, the moment that you go, you put stories off limits completely, mm-hmm. uh, the moment that is the moment that you sort of lose the intricacy of different points of view. Right. I might not be able to tell an Indigenous Australians' point of view, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't provide the frame for an indigenous performer to to express it, or it doesn't mean that I couldn't explore the perception. Uh, like the like in Australia, we we are wrestling with our perception of the indigenous culture, and mm-hmm. that is something that's never addressed. Mm-hmm. And it and so I I can explore the the. Um, the, the white gaze mm-hmm. of that. I mean, mm-hmm. another, the other sort of response to that really is to do with feminism. And feminism is really interesting. There's a really interesting resurgence of exploration which mm-hmm. is coming through. And, and, and I think there is a re-examination um, of the, f- the second wave and the first wave right. um, at the context of the beginning of what some are calling a fourth wave. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and people might go in there as a male. I could do that. What I can explore is the male gaze within the context of that. Right. Um, and that feels like a useful conversation on top of all the other conversations right. that are going on. The many conversations that are going yeah, on. Yeah, and, and we need lots of conversations. Right. I mean, as soon as we get didactic on one, we've kind of lost the point of of the conversation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we're always going to be right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my feeling. It goes back to you um, talking about how debate is lost and how yeah. there's just so many ways that you can speak to people that it's kind of diluted a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we've got our point of view and the trouble right. with social media is it just keeps supporting our point of view right it's like an echo echo chamber basically yeah Yeah. I mean and we all know that it's just and it's hard to challenge yourself because we don't when you grow up you're used to getting things right right and wrong or Mm -hmm. you know uh, but as you get to a point of view uh, your point of view of the world and you secure it Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to go back and go I'm wrong right I mean because it's uncomfortable of of course yeah who likes being wrong no one no, well, it's, it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> it is really uncomfortable. You know, particularly in in relation to when it when it when it's picking apart and saying you're essentially blind, mm-hmm. and the way in which people go, you're blind or you don't understand, you can't understand, just needs to be delicately done too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because because uh, nobody the, and the people uh, the people who are sort of calling blindness uh, need to do it, and they are doing it a lot of them are doing it in a very careful, delicate way mm-hmm. uh, because it hurts. It's painful to realise that you everything you've believed in is... Is wrong. Well, th- there's a different point of view mm, to fine. it. Right, right, right. You know. Right. Uh, yeah. That's Great. how I feel. Amazing. Do we have two <laughs> minutes left? Oh, cool. I want to know, um, it's rapid fire, so the first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah. Um, what's the last piece of theatre that you saw that you didn't direct? I should specify that. Yeah. What's the last thing that you saw? That I saw yeah. at all? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, Brother Size. Was it really? Yeah. Okay. What's the last thing you saw that wasn't at the Young Vic? Uh, uh, network. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are you reading? Anything right now? Yeah. What are you reading? Uh, Bishop Edward Daly's book about uh, the lead up to Bloody Sunday. Okay. Is that a play in the making? Yeah. Have you ever written anything? Yeah, I did early on, but I, it's, do you have I, any desire to write anything? Yeah, maybe. Okay. At some point, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, it's about it's a big project that I'm working on at the moment. Got it. Over in Ireland, which is which is really me trying to work out how to have a conversation with Ireland, okay. or have, not with Ireland, but with right. my experiences of that country. Got it. Um, Crown season one or two? My, do I a preference? Yes. One. Controversial. Wow. Very controversial. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you why. Um, right, we'll see, we're going to let I, that linger. No, we're going to let it okay, linger. Okay, let that linger. We're going to let it linger. We're going to let the controversy <laughs> spread. Yeah. Um, are you listening to anything? Podcasts, music? What do you I'm, not, I'm only getting into podcasts. I started listening to Serial. Just, you just started the, season, like, the yeah, first I didn't season? Really do, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really do podcasts, oh, but I'm getting to them the now. Welcome to the world, Justin. Welcome them. to 2015. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, they're great. They're cool, particularly when, you, when, when you're insomniac, so you're up late. Are you or, an insomniac? Sometimes. Really? Or okay. when you're on the tube. Okay. It's great. Who's the last person that you called? That I, ca- that I mm. called. And spoke to on the phone? Uh, my partner. Okay. Yeah. Who's the last person that you text on your phone? Uh, our stage manager, assistant stage manager. What were you saying? Uh, I was just saying she's brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. Um, why are you so nice? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love question. how you thought about it. You're like, wait a minute. I don't know that I am. I think I. Uh, I, I don't know. I think. Uh, I think there is obviously a world where you can get what you want, where you can confront. But I think actually, it's much better to have a conversation. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Justin. This My has been pleasure. Great. Thanks. Thank you.
Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Off Book by The Young Vic. If you'd like to hear more conversations with some of the most exciting people in theatre, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes.